Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Uh, the first reading this morning is from Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 to 21, and I'm reading in the NIV. So that's Deuteronomy 19, 15 to 21. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of a crime or offence they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in the office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation, and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as the witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. No, show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The second reading is from 1 John 2, verses 1 to 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. We know that we have come to, him, to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I do not I know him, sorry, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And love to invite Tren up. He's sharing with us today. Thank you Tren. Morning. Morning. I feel this is a little bit weird because I haven't done this in a while in person. This is actually kind of nice. Although this thing about no seats, I don't know, this is like the splash zone, what's going on up the front here. So um, welcome, welcome. My name's Andrew Tran. I'm one of the elder candidates here at City Light North Adelaide. Uh, heaps of new faces. Um, if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Um, uh, I mean, obviously I'd like to meet you now, but, but I'm, I'm up here, so um, let's chat afterwards. I'd love to meet you guys. Um, we are nearing the end of our 11-week uh, sermon series on the Ten Commandments called The Good Life. Um, and uh, I hope that this, challenge ha- this series has been challenging for you, but also really life-giving, because God has really given us the um, rules for, for actually our good. Um, if you have your Bibles, um, keep them open. We're going to keep getting into the Word. Um, but uh, before I get into the ninth commandment today, I'm just going to pray and uh, ask God to help us today. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that uh, your nature is revealed by Scripture. Uh, you've called us to you and you've left us with your word. Uh, Lord, we know that your word is truth. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Uh, help us to see you clearly today as we contemplate your ninth commandment. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Um, in 2002, uh, Steven Spielberg created and uh, he directed and produced this American bi- biographical crime film called Catch Me If You Can. Anyone see this movie? Yes. It's such a good movie. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, Amy Adams, Christopher, Walk- Christopher Walken. I love that guy. So good. 
Um, if you don't know what this movement is about, uh, it's about a con man. Uh, his name is Frank Agnell Jr. He's a con man, he's a, a check forger, he's an imposter. And the whole idea about this movie is that uh, essentially this Frank person, he droops millions and millions and millions of dollars um, by printing fake money checks while pretending to be an airline pilot, a doctor, and a lawyer. And he's like 21. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. But, um, man, I love this movie. I, I love this movie. It's, it's really entertaining. It's 92% on Tomatoes. If you haven't seen it, seen it, I will recommend you go see this movie. Um, and during the whole time watching this movie, though, you, uh, like, I had no issues with, like, just... I had no issues with what Frank was doing. I was just kind of like, enjoy, I was there for the ride, and I was actually rooting for the character because you know, he's the protagonist, you, you follow along with him. But he's doing some really illegal kind of stuff, really bad stuff, right, when you think about it. He's duping millions and millions of dollars. And yes, I, I guess the part of his story is like, yeah, I know his parents got divorced, and he moved to a, like a, like a rum and rich neighborhood to a really like poor neighborhood, so you really feel for him in that. But to be honest, I can't imagine many of us really kicking up a fuss about Frank Abagnale Jr. while watching this movie. Now, I'm not saying that when you watch movies, you need to be the fun police. Um, I'm not saying that you must be morally outraged by, by his actions here. And full disclaimer, just because I'm talking about this movie does not mean I condone check forging or impostering or anything like that. Please don't do that. Um, but as Christians living in our culture of prosperity, I suspect that some of us, if not all of us, are somewhat desensitized to the idea of telling fibs or lies. And it's not just in regards to this movie. Lying is actually everywhere in our society, in our culture. And the Ninth Commandment uh, often is known as something, uh, so people just say, oh, it's just do not lie. So you, you shall not, you shall not lie, right? Um, and you don't, have to be a good, you don't have to be even a Christian to agree that this is probably a good idea. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who says that this is a bad thing. Uh, as Christians, do not lie. It sounds like a, like a no-brainer, right? Just, just don't do it. Don't lie. But if you go to where the Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20, uh, the, the, the command is a bit more nuanced than that. Exodus 20:16 says that you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And those words actually have a bit more gravity than just simply saying, do not lie. Which is why I think as we look at the Ninth Commandment today, we need to really... We really need to understand what's at stake here. What's at stake? So if you're note-taking, um, if you were to explore the Ninth Commandments today, we're going to look at three things today. Uh, we're going to look at the impact of false witness. We're going to look at the impulse behind false witness. And lastly, we're going to look at the call to be true witnesses. The impact, the impulse, and the call to be true witnesses. So firstly, the impact of false witness. To understand what this command is exactly referring to, you need to understand the context of this passage. Like previous weeks, we've talked about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to God's people, Israel, after they were ripped out of slavery, out of Egypt. Um, they were to be his people, and God wanted to bless them so the nations, the pagan nations would see how good God was. They would know the God of the good life, and they would see a nation that was characterized by the character of God. The Ten Commandments here is talking about false witness, and it's, it talk, when you think about the word witness, and it's actually talking about a, like a courtroom situation. Um, think of an incident that requires a court to settle. It's usually they're quite serious. 
Um, so if you have false testimony in a court, that's, that's going to bring false judgment on your neighbor. And we know that God took false witness really seriously because in the, ninth, the ninth commandment is kind of unpacked later in Exodus 23, verses 1 and 3 and 6 to 8. I'll read it out for you. Exodus 23, 1 to 3 says this. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being, malicious, uh, being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the, with the crowd and do not show favoritism to the poor person in a lawsuit. 6 to 8 says this. Do not deny justice to your people, poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. You see here, false witness leads to injustice. False witness leads to injustice. And especially in the case where there's two or three witnesses, if you look at Deuteronomy 17.6, it says this, on the testimony on two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death, but not on one uh, but no one is to be put on to death on the testimony of only one witness. So if you had two or three lying people on the witness stand, that person on the, who's defending themselves might actually die. That's, as they die, that's, that's, a, that's a grave injustice. In a court trial where justice is meant to prevail, in the case where, where false testimony prevails, that is antithetical to God's character. It flies in the face of his holiness. It flies in the face of his righteousness. It flies in the face of his absolute moral perfection. And that's why from our first reading in today in Deuteronomy 19, there are such dire consequences for those giving false report in court. And this idea of pervading justice is, doesn't, isn't just in the Old Testament. Jesus actually affirms this in the New Testament. Um, he affirms the ninth commandment and makes the spirit of the law abundantly clear in Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. Again, you have heard that it is said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the law the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is, foot, it is, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus here is actually confronting the convoluted oath-swearing kind of legal code of his day, whereby you could actually tell the truth, by, tell the truth in a non-binding way. What that really means, well, John Dixon really phrases it really well here in his Doubter's Guide to the Ten Commandments. It's, he says, What counted for Jesus were not regulations about grades of truth-telling, but the commitment to simple, the simple principle of, of honesty. All you need to really say is simply yes or no. What this commitment, to, what this commitment then means to us Christians is that we are to be not just liars, but we need to be honest people. We need to be truth-tellers because God is of truth-telling. And this partly means that we don't commit self, selfish action of telling a lie, but it doesn't mean that we also omit the truth either, when, especially when it needs telling. Nor does it mean that we partially tell partial truths. 
It's no wonder that when justice is perverted in the first century here, that Jesus is saying these kind of things come from the evil one. In fact, when you think about it, in the, in the Garden of Eden, there's no clearer place that, that demonstrates this. If you're familiar with the creation story, uh, you have God, you have Adam and Eve, and, you have, and they're in the Garden of Eden, and they get told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then along comes this serpent snake dude, and he says, oh God, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Surely you won't die. You'll become like God. And what happens afterwards? It's just, it's just a little white lie, right? No, no consequence, no biggie. Nah. It brought sin and death and destruction. And it broke the perfect relationship that existed between God, mankind, and the rest of creation. It's no wonder that Jesus in John 8 says that Satan is the father of lies. Giving false witness is a big deal. As Jesus revealed, as Christians, it comes down to treating the commitment to honesty. And we have to take that seriously. Not simply because it leads to injustice to our fellow neighbors, but because it is diametrically opposed to the character of God and we're meant to be like him. That's why you have Proverbs, like Proverbs 22 and 12, it says, uh, 12, 22, it says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Now, if you're a Christian here today, and you, you might be thinking, well, if the implications of lying are so serious, then why do we keep doing it? If the implications of lying are so serious, why do we keep doing it? Well, that leads me to my second point here, the, the impulse behind false witness. Before I go on, I must acknowledge that although the Bible has a lot, a lot to say about this, there's actually a lot of social and scientific data on this as well. In, in June 2017, in the, in the National Geographic, uh, there was an article uh, by a guy named Yudijit Bhattacharya. I hope I'm not butchering that name. Um, and the article was called, Why We Lie. The science behind our deceptive ways. And the, interestingly, the tagline that says, honesty may be the best policy, but scheming and dishonesty are part of what makes us human. In the article, he cites research from Timothy Levine out of the Journal of Intercultural Communication Research in 2016, and he comes up with this following infograph. It's the reasons behind lying. 2% is pathological. 2% is social or polite, you know, to avoid reasons, but interestingly, over 75% of the reasons had to do either with protecting yourself or promoting yourself. 75, over 75% of the reasons had to do with protecting yourself or elevating yourself. Under protecting yourself, there's the idea of personal transgression, which is covering up your misdeeds, avoidance, which is like escaping people, and under promoting yourself, there's economic advantage, there's personal advantage, that's stuff beyond money, uh, positive self-image or self-impression, and even humoring people. But the quote, to quote Tim Levine, uh, summarizing his research, he, he, he has a really poignant quote about his research here. He says, we all lie, but not all lies are the same. People lie and tell the truth to achieve a goal. We lie if honesty won't work. We lie if honesty won't work. Interesting. 
And this impulse for lying doesn't just stop there. Uh, if we go to the next infograph here, um, it's from the same National Geographic article. Uh, Kim Serrata from the Oakland University, her research shows how impulsive our lying really is. It's, it's here uh, separated by uh, frequency and age group as well. Um, and it's interesting that it's, it's, I don't know if you here have kids, buckle up. Um, so it spikes when kids enter the ages of 13 to 17, where 59% of kids admit that they lie at least one to five times a day. And this just backs up why the reason why folklores like Pinocchio exist, that end at children, right? Because they learn to lie the most when they're young. And although this proportion who lie frequently drops as people enter into their middle and late adulthood, it still exists. This graph essentially shows us the ubiquitous nature of lies and deception. Every day, just more lies. And I can guarantee you, if you've been, if you've been scammed on Facebook Marketplace, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It does happen as adults. You can talk to me about that later. I'm not going to put this in public record. But I want to just return to this tagline from National Geographic for a second, um, because it speaks to the, actually a truth that's found in the Bible. Honesty may be the best policy, but scheming and dishonesty are part of what makes us human. As a human, dishonesty is inescapable. It's part of who we are when we're born. And the Bible is clear about this. It's super clear. As people, we are born into a broken world. Our bodies, our minds, our souls have been corrupted by the disease of sin. And even as Christians, even though we are saved by the blood of Jesus, it does not mean that we will not struggle to live out who we are called to be. The impulse behind false witness is etched into our soul. And, that's, and while it's got to do with our messed up hearts, it's expressed differently between all of us. For some of us, it's compulsively telling white lies, you know. Oh, I'm leaving for the house now, but actually I'm getting out of the shower. For some of us, it's not giving all the details that we might look better in front of people. We want to be well esteemed. For some of us, it's the gossip that we've heard. We gossip because we've heard that thing that we've sucking hand from someone and we don't want to miss out. We want to feel important. For some of us, it's we say we're too busy to spend time with God, but nobody knows that we've just spent, uh, we've just spent the last three weeks watching the nine seasons of The Office for the third time in a row. And for some of us, we'll say, oh, we'll pray for that. I'll pray for that. I'll pray for you. And then we forget about it. We want to be seen as holier than others. And the crazy thing is, since the problem of deception is the posture of the heart, you don't even need words to tell lies. In our age of social media, truth be told, some of us are just fronting. I'm just being real. Some of us are just putting it up. We put up a highlight reel on Instagram and to get approval when really our lives are falling apart. We feign compassion when pain and suffering strikes the world, but we don't do much to help out at all. Or we call our culture with our convictions, but really we're just posturing our own sense of piety. 
Don't get me wrong, social media is great. It's great for sharing good news, it's good for raising awareness, it's for good for instigating change in our society. But we better, and I mean, I mean this quite literally here, we better damn well check our hearts. Because I'm pretty sure Ananias and Sapphira, that didn't end well for them. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, read Acts 5. So why do we do it? What's the impulse? To quote Timothy Levine again, we lie when honesty doesn't work. Real chipper, Andrew, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for ruining my Sunday morning. <laughs> now, I know for some of us, this might be a huge wake-up call. And I think that was for me too. I think we, sometimes we need to be shaken out of our, we need to be made sober again. We need to see lying for what it really is. And I know some of us have tried to live honestly so, so, so hard. But we are so prone to living dishonestly. We're addicted to lying. We're like Jim Carrey and liar, liar. So much so that sometimes we don't even know whether we're actually doing it. We try so hard, but it almost seems inevitable. But despite how bleak and how inevitable this sin might look for us, the good news, the, the good news is that God knows. God knows. God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign king, knows. He knows how helpless we are. He knows how prone we are to wander. He knows how weak we are without him. That's why he outed you on the cross. The cross is this massive declaration to the world that God says, yeah, I get it, you stuffed up. You need a savior because you can't save yourself. And that's why Jesus died for us. Jesus died for our sins. When he died for our sins, he didn't just die for our past sins, but died for our present sins and our future sins. Salvation, and salvation isn't just simply a ticket to heaven. When salvation means that God sees that your worth is of infinite value because of the work of Jesus. Think about what that says about lying or being deceptive for selfish gain or puffing up our pride. If we have Jesus, we have every, everything that we would ever want. And the sense of value that we get from covering up our sin or puffing up our pride, which is what lying really is, it pales miserably to the actual value that God has given you through his son. Brothers and sisters, we need to wake up to the inheritance that God has afforded us to, in Jesus Christ. Oh, if we only looked at, not looked at our own self-esteem, but we gazed at the value that Christ has esteemed to us. This is where we find true joy. This is where we find true hope. This is where we find the truly good life that, and, and freedom from the slavery of dishonesty. And when God saves you, he doesn't just leave you there. Thank God he doesn't just leave us there. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit that lives within you to empower you to be holy like he is holy to live by the truth as you imitate Christ who is the truth. That leads me to my last point. Jesus has called us to be true witnesses. 
Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like a courtroom situation, a witness testifies of what they've seen and heard as the truth. When you look at the gospel accounts, they're largely written from eyewitness accounts. Our faith is built on the testimonies of those who have witnessed Jesus himself. And Jesus has commissioned us to testify of his love, his beauty, and his grace, not just through theological facts that we can easily intellectually ascend to, but to testify of the life-transforming love that is experienced when reading his word and meeting his body, the church. Think about this. If it wasn't for one of Jesus' witnesses telling you about him, you wouldn't be a Christian. If it wasn't for the faithful witness of another Christian, you wouldn't be a Christian. And Jesus is calling you to do the same so that people might come to know him and experience the good life. And I'll admit, it can be scary. It's a daunting task, even for us Christians who've been, who've been Christians for many years. Yeah, I mean, you might be thinking, oh man, Tran, I don't, I don't know where to start because I don't know that much about my faith, how am I supposed to share, yada, yada, yada. And that's okay, start there. Find out who Jesus is. Crack open the gospel and see him for true, hear who he truly is. Get involved in a DG. Read the Bible with someone who's more mature in the faith than you. See Jesus for who he truly is. Witness him in the Bible. Knowing Jesus is more than just a feeling of being loved. Our relationship with Jesus is active and living. It's only by knowing who he is that we can testify to his goodness. Like, I can't tell the world about my fiance if I don't spend time to get to know her. You know what I mean? The trying to tell the world about my fiance is without knowing who she is, that's kind of absurd. And that's the same thing about with Jesus. As we get to know the truth about him, our, our love and our trust for him will grow as we as we obey to command as we as we obey him. But as we proclaim the name of Jesus to an unbeliever, we must remember one thing, that our words are only as trustworthy as the rest of our lives. Our words are only as trustworthy as the rest of our lives. Like it says in our second reading in 1 John 2, um, uh, 3 to 6, I'll read it again for you. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What John isn't saying here is that we're saved by our works and words. Rather, our works and our words are evidences of God's transforming grace in our lives. When we say, I know God, but our lives don't reflect that, that casts some serious doubt as to whether or not you actually know God. If words are the means by which people know God through his word, then we must be people with, who are trustworthy with our words. If our works are, the, are a means of validating our testimony about God, we're not, we must not betray our words with our works. 
It's kind of like this photo here. Um, if you don't know who this person is, this is Gal Gadot. She's an, act- she's an Israeli actress who plays the Wonder Woman in the Wonder Woman movies and the DC comic movies. And in t- April 2018, this tweet went viral for all the wrong reasons. It says here, she's holding a phone, and it says, hello to my new mate, Huawei Mate 10 Pro. And then at the bottom says, via Twitter for iPhone. Essentially, they're saying, she's saying here, I have this phone, check out this phone, this phone is amazing, this Huawei 10 Mate Pro thing is amazing, and she's using an iPhone. <laughs> it's not a good look. And yes, I get it, it might be done by our PR team, but as funny as this is, this is exactly what it looks like when we, claim, when we say we claim to know God, but then are proven to be liars by our words and our deeds. Living holy and honest lives is inextricably linked to our evangelism and faithful witness. But when we have tasted the freedom found in union with Christ, you can't help but want to live a life that reflects that you know God. You want to spend time with Him to know Him better. You want to think of yourself less and others more. You want to love your neighbors as yourself. You want to serve the poor and the downtrodden. You want to act rightly and justly, not in just the public domain, but in the personal domain. And all things, and like all things related to living the Christian life, you will not do this perfectly. But guess what? We are sinners saved by grace, right? And the good news is that God isn't done with us here when he saves us. Because as we mature in the faith, by leaning into his power, as we grow from one degree of glory to the next, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians 2, over time our lives, our words and our works will testify to God's changing power in our lives. So as we close today, let's remember these things. That When we're deceitful, it runs contrary to who God is and moreover, who we are in Him. We rob people of justice and selfishly profiteer from our lack of commitment to honesty. But the good news is despite God knowing all our wrongdoings, our lies and deceptions, Jesus has called us to Himself and He's given us everything we could ever want so we don't actually need to lie. Make And he's making us more and more like him every day to reflect his perfect truth-telling character. May God help us this week and for the rest of our lives, really, to be reflectors of Jesus and to bear witness to the truth through our words and our works. Let's pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have redemption of our souls through Jesus. We thank you for the immense love and grace shown on the cross for us. We are so ill-deserving of it. Lord, help us feel the gravity of your sacrifice. Help us feel the weight of um, help us feel the weight of your value that you've that you've bestowed to us. Help us not belittle your love with our lies. Oh, we are sorry for all the times we have failed and we are sorry for all the times we will continue to fail. We will lament the times we have failed to be your true witnesses. Help us to be above reproach, not to impress you, but because we love you. 
Lord, I pray that you store our appetites for holiness and righteousness to represent you well and to bring you all the glory in all our words and all our deeds. And can we thank you for Jesus. We love you and we praise you for who you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.